Hello, welcome to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast, where it is all about helping amazing physicians just like you create a wealthy life free from burnout and with the financial security to practice medicine on your own terms. I'm your host, Dr. Elisa Zhang. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast. I recently returned from San Francisco, where I attended the ASAPERS and AO conferences. That's the American Society of Ophthalmic, Plastic, and Reconstructive Surgery conference, as well as the American Academy of Ophthalmology conference. At the American Academy of Ophthalmology conference, I gave a talk on investing, which I personally think had a great turnout. It was an important reminder to me of how many physicians are looking to learn more about investing. Most of us have no exposure to this information at any time during our education and training, and yet many of us take on six-figure loans and spend years of our lives under-earning so that we have to make up for all that time once we finally become attendings. Time does matter so much when it comes to investing, especially when you're investing in the stock market. Investing in the stock market works great when you have time on your side. But for many of us physicians starting late when it comes to investing for our children's education or even for retirement, we don't have as many years as someone who's starting right after graduating undergrad at age 21. In fact, I was talking to somebody else about how they were saying medicine is still a great way to earn a high income, even with all the issues in healthcare today. I actually pointed out that Even if you only earn $50,000 after graduating undergrad and you put 10% of that away every year, you're still going to end up a millionaire by the time you're retiring at age 65. And yet 25% of physicians age 65 and older have a net worth of less than a million. And given the time and money it takes to go through a medical education, residency, and maybe also fellowship training, all that time really adds up as well as the debt it takes to get all that education. We really have to be smart about what we do with our physician income, namely how we save and invest our money. One of the subjects I talked about was investing in real estate. So of course, the question comes up, is now the right time to invest in real estate? With mortgage interest rates around 8%, it certainly could look like it's not a time to actually invest in real estate. But remember, you marry the property you're buying. You don't marry the interest rate. Whenever interest rates go down, you can always refinance. There is a Chinese proverb that says, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is now. And people often use that saying when it comes to real estate as well. I read an article on Yahoo Finance that real estate has appreciated at an annual rate of around 9% over the past 45 years. The article didn't elaborate at what sector of real estate it was quoting, so I began digging a little deeper. According to the U.S. Census data, The price of new homes increased by 5.4% annually from 1963 to 2008 on average. That being said, the average size of a new home has also significantly increased over that time period. NPR reported that the average new home size increased from 983 square feet to 2,349 square feet from 1950 to 2004. Of course, a bigger home is going to cost more money, as homes are often valued at dollar per square footage. So when you take into account the price per square foot of a new home, it's actually increased 4.2% annually from 1963 to 2008, which is slightly less than the 4.4% rate of inflation over that same time period. 
Real estate is often thought to be a good inflation hedge in that it typically keeps up with the rate of inflation. And this data matches that. If we look at the Case-Shiller Index, which tracks repeat sales of the same home, so we don't have to consider adjusting for houses getting bigger, then the price of existing homes increased 3.4% annually from 1987 to 2009 on average. This is why, when purchasing real estate for investment purposes, you should consider market appreciation as a cherry on top and not your primary strategy for making money with real estate. The great thing about real estate investing is the multiple ways you can generate returns with real estate. It's your ability to generate these other returns that I would recommend you consider when you're investing in real estate. The first, and what I personally think is the most important, is cash flow. Cash flow is king. It really is. If you have positive cash flow, you can ride out different market cycles. The value of your property could go down, and it doesn't matter because you can hang on to that property indefinitely as long as your cash flow is positive. And when you have positive cash flow, you are putting money in your pocket regularly, which is the ultimate point of investing. Your investment is generating real money that you can spend. And it's generating that money while you continue to own that asset. Unlike stocks, where you often have to sell the stock in order to get money to live on. To be clear, what I define as positive cash flow is that your income from your investment property is greater than all your expenses. And I do mean all of your expenses. For residential real estate, the rents you receive from the property need to cover more than just the mortgage and any utilities you're paying as the property owner. It needs to cover the current maintenance as well as any future predictable maintenance and capital expenses. A good rule of thumb is to set aside around 3 to 5% of the value of your property for maintenance each year. You're going to eventually need a new roof or some other big ticket item and your cash flow should cover those expenses as well. It also needs to cover the cost of turnover, meaning the cost to clean and fix up the property between tenants, and the cost of vacancy, the time you're not collecting rent. I would also highly recommend that your cash flow covers the cost of a property manager, even if you're doing your own property management. There might be a time where you no longer want to do that property management, and you want to consider that cost with your cash flow. For residential long-term rentals, property managers range from 7 to 10% of the rent, and they also often charge one month's rent to place a tenant. So if you can find a real estate investment that will give you positive cash flow, now you have an asset as defined by Robert Kiyosaki, something that puts money in your pocket. The next thing you want to consider is the rate of return that cash flow is bringing in, or the cash-on-cash return. If you have to spend $100,000 to purchase and fix up a property, and then you are able to rent it out for $1,000 of positive cash flow a year, then it may not be worth it, since it would be a 1% annual return on your investment, and currently you could be getting more than that with your money just sitting in a high-yield savings account. What's a good cash-on-cash return? Most investors strive for between 10 and 15% cash-on-cash return, though currently that may be somewhat more hard to find. Others would be happy with 5 to 8%, especially on a first investment. Consider that the cash-on-cash return usually increases over time as rents increase over time, and hopefully you're getting a fixed-rate mortgage so your mortgage cost will not increase and could potentially decrease with refinancing. I would at least consider a 5% cash-on-cash return in the current market, even though Wealthfront is currently paying a 5% annual percentage yield as of November 3rd, 2023. 
The trick, of course, is finding a long-term residential real estate investment with positive cash flow, yielding 5% or more cash on cash. Given current interest rates, it's not as easy as it was a few years ago, but that doesn't mean that it's impossible. So then it depends on the amount of time and energy you want to spend looking for real estate investments. Remember, you can spend time and energy looking yourself or time and energy building a team that does the looking for you. You may also want to consider the other ways you can get a return from real estate, especially if you're finding that maybe it's too much work or effort to find something that's 5% cash on cash return, or you can't even find something that's 5% cash on cash return, but you can find something that's 2 or 3%, then maybe depending on these other returns, it may be still worthwhile for you. As other episodes of this podcast has discussed, there are distinct tax advantages when it comes to investing in real estate. The more you can use tax advantages like reps and the short-term rental loophole, the more worthwhile it may be. You'll want to take into consideration your current tax shelters, your current sources of income, and your overall current situation. If you're a high-earning W-2 income in the 37% tax bracket, and your spouse could go part-time and get reps or real estate professional status, then it may really be worth looking deeper into real estate investing. On the other hand, if you're single in the 24% federal tax bracket and you own your own private practice where you can take a lot of business write-offs, then it may not be as beneficial to get into real estate investing for the tax benefits. If you do decide to look at residential real estate, you could also look for ways to force appreciation and increase the value of the property or even get immediate appreciation from the day you buy. Forced appreciation is what you can do to the property to make it worth more. This could be adding on a bedroom or bathroom. A three-bedroom, two-bath house is generally more valuable than a three-bedroom, one-bath house, even with the same square footage. Or maybe you can convert a three-season sunroom into a fourth bedroom. Renovating an outdated kitchen or outdated bathrooms also increases the value of most properties. If the cost of forcing the appreciation is less than the increase you bring in the value, then you're creating a positive return. Immediate appreciation is when you can buy a property for less than its current retail market value. These are typically properties that are not listed on the MLS or the Multiple Listing Service. This could be a distressed homeowner that needs to sell quickly for some reason. Remember, you could be helping them by buying their property below market value it doesn't necessarily mean you're taking advantage of the situation. Often, immediate appreciation can be commingled with forced appreciation. The distressed homeowner may not be able to sell their home in its current condition, so that may be why they can't get market price. Most buyers looking on the MLS want a home that doesn't need a lot of work before they move in. In fact, to get market value, it often means not only having a relatively updated home, but a home that's clean and staged. This is why people pay for staging or having furniture placed just so, so the house looks just right for people coming to look at the home to buy and live in it themselves. Often people don't have the imagination to see themselves in an empty home. Take a situation where someone dies and leaves their three children who all live far away to inherit the home. None of the children want to take time off to come back to the home, spend money to get it market ready, and then sell it on the MLS so that they can get full retail value. They'd rather have less money for less work. In this situation, they may sell it for significantly less than market value and the cost it takes to get it market ready. 
And getting it market ready doesn't necessarily mean it's a big rehab job. It may mean you paint and carpet and fixing a number of small eyesores. Or maybe by putting in more by renovating the kitchen and bathrooms, you can really bring up the value significantly, meaning that the value increase is more than enough to compensate for your time, effort, and cost of doing the work. Because real estate is such an inefficient market, there are really ways on making money the day you buy the property if you're truly buying it for significantly less than market value, as well as the cost to get it up to full market value. So back to the question of investing in real estate now. The answer, as with most questions, is that it depends. In this episode, I've given examples of how it can still be advantageous to actively invest in residential real estate. But there are also other ways to invest in real estate. You could be looking at investing in different sectors of real estate, like commercial real estate or industrial real estate. You could also be looking at investing in syndications versus actively investing. All of it depends on your situation, and it also really comes down to your why. Why do you want to invest in real estate? How much fun do you have when it comes to looking at properties? Would it be a fun project to work on a rehab? What kind of time do you have to devote to the endeavor? What kind of team do you have or are willing to build to help and support you? What kind of returns would be worthwhile for you to pursue this as an investment vehicle? Active real estate investing for positive cash flow is probably the fastest way to create financial independence, but it does take work and effort, and it's not for everyone. If you would like to invest in real estate, but have no idea of where to get started and want clarity on what's right for you, that is something I can help you with. You can set up a free consultation call with me at my website, www.growyourwealthymindset.com, and we can discuss your financial goals and options of how to get there. Thank you so much for being a listener of the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset podcast. If you enjoy this episode, take a screenshot and share it on your social media. Let your friends and colleagues know about the podcast. It would be a great help to my mission to spread financial literacy among physicians. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could share it with your friends and colleagues. And now for the disclaimer. I am not a certified financial planner, accountant, or attorney, and nothing I say should be construed as professional investment, tax, or legal advice. This show is primarily for your education and entertainment. I am a physician, but I'm probably not your physician. So if you need any medical advice, please contact your own physician. Thank you.